Welcome to the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Mike, this week, more than any other week of 2022, three massive stories on race and pop culture have hit almost simultaneously. Before we get to our great interview that we had with Robin Givens, who's going to be in the episode 12 of ABC's Queens, which is a brown and black show as well, let's talk about and let's begin, Mike, with the Joe Rogan story. So, you know, back in uh, 2020, Joe Rogan, Spotify made a $100 million deal with Joe Rogan. $100 million is something so ridiculous in the podcast business that we were like, no one ever thought that anybody could even be worth that much in the podcast industry. But that just went to show his influence and his following and his loyal following at that. And as of late, there's been a lot of problems with him in these last two years, essentially, where there's a lot of misinformation. He has not been very supportive of COVID or Fauci. Let me say this. Uh, first of all, I had read about the the compilation and then I had read about the apology. But in preparation for the show, I saw the video and I had to hunt down the, the unedited, you know, the unbleeped version at, at this point. Everybody has heard it. And if you haven't heard it, you can pause this podcast and go find Joe Rogan saying the N-word. But I, I, I do have a lot of thoughts on this topic, obviously. But I am curious as to your take and, 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 and more specifically as to this controversy with him and your take on Joe Rogan. And you really said something important here, just how ridiculous the $100 million for the podcast. I liken it to what happened with Howard Stern when he went to Sirius and they just knew that if people are listening to him, he's in the news, he's controversy. This is how we get everybody to know about Sirius and it'll be in cars everywhere. So, Mike, it's not even so much that. No, no, no. It's it's $100 million in his bank account is what makes him feel entitled, what makes him feel like he can do anything he wants, say anything he wants, Mike. It's $100 million in the bank. Well, I think it suffices in that it's there's a lot of things he says, but then there's a lot of things he says without realizing he's saying it. Do you genuinely feel regretful? And that's what we really got to... Got to find out, man. You, you, you could you put two things together, two explosively different to me. You know, regret versus uh, I'm a racist. To say I'm a racist, to acknowledge your own racism, he never once said that he was a racist. He kept saying, oh, I never thought they'd be uh, all put together at once. And it sounded bad. Sound sounded bad. He doesn't. He takes he extracts context from it. It sounded bad. When you put it all together, it sounds bad. He's conflating a lot of things. To say the title of 
a Richard Pryor album that has the N-word in the title and conflating that with coming out in an all-black neighborhood and uh, uh, that you're going to go out and see Planet of the Apes and you say, wow, I feel like I'm in the Planet of the Apes, uh, that, that suggests, okay, all that imagery conjures. Let me just break that down. The jungle, okay, apes, okay, black people. For a lot of white people, that's what, what comes to mind. Now, if, if you were, as, as a black person, you go, most black people don't have hair on their bodies. White people do. So they're a lot more like apes than we are. But jungle, apes, black people, like these are not, not so much dog whistles, but these are reference points for how we're viewed by white people. What I also think is interesting about this Joe Rogan thing and in his apology, his apology to me suggests white people of the future, white people of the future who can claim or feign ignorance because they didn't learn in school what the history of that word means or anything. I, I didn't know. I, I heard it in a song. Uh, 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 and the it, just how, um, let's just say this, many, many, many white people have a blind spot when it comes to racism, they just can't see it. It's like men and, and how they deal with women. They can't even see their own blind spot. It's just, it's just part of what it is to be human, to maybe not understand something, but hopefully want to learn it. But the, the arrogance and the, let's just say him feeling he can talk about the word and say the word because he's a guy who's just comfortable running his mouth. He's got black friends. Okay, so, so, so here's a question. You know, there's a lot of black talent that that goes to his shows that goes to to talk to him in his studio the question is donnell rawlings who's been on our show is good friends has been friends with him he's defended him you know what we should call donnell and ask donnell will you be going back to the joe rogan show he is he's already de- he's already defended him no yes he's defended him like the rock defended him because the rock also apologized for defending no him. i mean you see there's a different now here's another aspect of this like, how does Chappelle feel about that? I see. Yeah, that's a damn good question. Here's the other aspect. That's what I was just going to get to. Joe Rogan considered himself, he's a, he's a comedian. He's a stand-up, he's a former stand-up comedian. He's like a failed stand-up comedian who became a podcast host. I mean, podcasting is the greatest gift in the world for a comedian. This is people just like to run off their mouth. You know, there you go. You know, you can riff all night. You can riff. He, he doesn't, hasn't he done like six hour shows? So to me, humor, you know, humor changes with the times. It does. What's acceptable? What was an acceptable? I mean, one of the references he made in his apology is about how, well, I was talking about Red Fox and da da da. Red Fox said the N word on TV, and you look at TV in the seventies. It's like looking at the Twilight Zone. Okay, it's a completely different set of values. But we were transitioning from one set of values to another. We're in a whole other stage now. But humor. What makes something funny? If 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 an Asian person does uh, a black accent, is that funny or funnier or easier to accept than if a white person does it? What if uh, it's a Latin person pretending to do a black voice? Is that funny?
so the other bomb that dropped this week, Mike, was the Aquafina accusations of her having a black sin and essentially uh, putting on a black mask to profit off her career. The accusations have been rampant for years. I mean, if you've ever seen the show uh, Aquafina Norris from Queens, we actually had Teresa Shao, the showrunner for that show and one of her best friends on our Brown and Black podcast. I always thought that Aquafina, for some reason, because she grew up in New York and was from Queens. Oh, you're from Queens. That means you're urban. That means everybody who's urban in Queens sounds urban or black. And I think a lot of people just gave her a pass until this Reuters journalist at a Shang-Chi junket in September of 2021 had confronted her about the black scent. And here's what Aquafina herself, who, who seemed to have been completely caught off guard, had to say. I'm open to the conversation. I think I think it, you know, it, it's... It, it really is something that um, I think is, is a little bit multifaceted and, and layered. Um, and so, yeah. So, Mike, my question to you more than anything is this. Black sense. I had a black scent when I was growing up as a kid because I went to public schools. My block was full of black and brown people. Um, my childhood and my teenage years was everybody sounding urban or black or no one gave it a term that time. You just spoke the way everybody else spoke. And here's the thing. Is the accusation that she adopted a black accent for coolness factor to be able to take her career from one tier to another and explode? Because there was this moment where I remember I was watching like the Today Show and the commercial came on for Ocean's 8 and then they, they then dropped a story um, that she was going to be the new Ocean's 8 and then she was like the hot new it girl and then from then on it was Crazy Rich Asians and then Shang-Chi and then her own TV show and she was always giving this black vibe. It's, it's what made her cool. It's what made her different than everybody else. It was what made her her. And her response, and I'm not sure if you've heard her response, but her response was long. Much of it had to do with the fact that she, it was environmental context. She grew up around that. She sweated black culture. Therefore, she identified almost black and that's what you get from it. But what's weird is that then sometimes she speaks without a black accent. Dude, first of all, she grew up in Forest Hills. So get get the fuck out of here with all this. She grew up around black people. Okay. If you guys don't know Forest Hills, Forest Hills is the most like yuppie, suburban, non-black, super almost restricted. It's not black. All right. Sorry. So let's just say, let, let's just push that out the way. Okay. But, you know, first of all, to be, to talk cool, to talk cool, period, in America worldwide, it's always about adopting a black accent, black vernacular, black phrases, everything from man to cool to you, you name it. It came from black culture. So black culture has always had th that you want to be cool. You want to be the white hero who's cool. Watch him either a have a friend who's the black guy or b 
You want to show he's a real badass? Watch him beat up the black guy. Okay, so black has always been this barometer of of cool or 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 you know acceptance. Okay, Aquafina, she's a comedian, quote unquote. She built her career off being able to the the novelty of an Asian doing a black accent, the novelty of an Asian sounding like she hung out with black people, the novelty of her being able to rap like she was black, the novelty of her being cool and hip, almost not quite black, but not what we think of as Asian, all of that. So she was a novelty act, okay? But she's talented. She's she's really funny. She's she's a good actress. All that other stuff. But like the person we were talking about earlier has that blind spot. A lot of Asian people have a blind spot when it comes to how the difference between being Asian, being black POC. Yeah, you're POC, but you're not black. Okay, and it's not like, oh, I want to own my misery or my whatever. We occupy a very specific place in society, just like Joe Rogan went off about the word, the word, the N word is such a unique word. Nobody else has a word like that. Almost like I wish we had some word we could bandy about like that. Well, you can bandy about whatever you want. But the bottom line is with somebody to me, like like an Aquafina, what she says there when she used the term in her apology, she used the term minstrel. To even use that term in defending herself speaks volumes about her blind spot and, and her even understanding the history of what a minstrel is and how that has nothing to do with any other person of color than being black. Well, this reminds me of the Gina Rodriguez thing. Person of color who yep. Yep. says a word because she heard it in a song and rapped it publicly and, and her career essentially stalled much because of that. And then explain to Eddie Huang to me, though. Eddie Huang did Fresh Off the Boat. Uh, Eddie Huang did Boogie that we uh, talked about in the last episode as well. That there's these, you know, Chinese, Asian uh, people who, 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 who love hip hop culture, who love black American culture. And what happens, Mike, when, when you feel that your heritage that you were born into doesn't match or doesn't fit your soul, your existence, who you want to be, who you want to project to society. What happens when you're Asian and you find out that you feel that you are black inside, that you should be black, and all of a sudden you start expressing yourself in black? You're pissing off your parents. You're like, hey, 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 hold on a second that's a little explosive for people who decide that they connect more with a different culture. I mean, at what point, Mike, why can't people just be who they are? Why can't they just adopt a little black here, a little Scandinavian there, a little Argentinian there, a little Colombian here, and then a little American here to create their identity? What is identity at the end of the day anyway? All right, first of all, you're describing Madonna. But no, <laughs> let me say this, okay? At what point, at what point does, is it okay for Hillary to call herself Hilaria and to act like she forgets how to call certain basic things? At what point does her appreciation become something else? Hillary Baldwin. Hillary Baldwin, yeah. Hillary Baldwin becomes Hilaria and it's hilarious, okay? But at what point... Does, does cultural appreciation become cultural appropriation? At what point 
do you profit, okay, off of, you know, you are going to pretend to be black and teach black studies and 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 in your heart you feel for black people and 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 you want to head a local chapter of the NAACP even though you're white but you you could pass for black you could say you're light skinned black it, it, at what point do the culture police come in you, you tell me at what point are are you offended by Hil- hilaria hilaria baldwin pretending to be latina uh, that's to me, I don't know if that can be answered. I think there's that very fine line, man. I, I think some people do it with a genuine love for a different culture. Now, I don't know Aquafina, but to me, that's how she came into the business. And it leads me to believe that when she was younger, she probably watched, you know, a lot of, she was around a lot of black culture. She consumed probably a lot of black. Wasn't she a rapper for a while? That's like what I'm saying. She was the novelty she, of an Asian rapper. Okay, how many Asian rappers right, are there? Because she connected with the culture. Look, and I'm not here defending her either, Mike. I'm not defending her in any way. But at the same time, she's going, wait, wh- why is this all of a sudden coming to a hall? You guys had no problem with me being me. And by the way, I... I love black culture probably more than I love my Asian culture. Why can't I love both? I mean, I was well, she exposed to it. Did she say that? She didn't she say didn't, it. Okay. No, that's what she implies. This is what she implies. That's what she, her whole career's about. Hey, I'm Asian and I feel black inside. That's a different interpretation, dude. You, I could say her whole career is, hey, I'm Asian and I know how to do black and it's a novelty and it's funny and I can build a career on it. Okay, now what about that's, Latinos? That's an then? interpretation. Okay, that's now what, interpretation. what about reggaeton? What about Latinos? How many Latinos have you met that act black? But no one calls out Latinos all the time for acting black. Do we, do, do, do we earn that? From where I'm sitting, acting black? You see... That's where I come back to this universal cool thing. I've heard, and I've done some radio shows, and I've heard German hip hop. I've heard Italian hip hop. I've heard Japanese hip hop. I've heard heard Israeli hip hop. And they all sound like black people in their own language, even though they're not. You hear the Russian hip hop. It sounds like... It sounds like a black guy talking Russian, but it's not. It's a white guy speaking in Russian with a black accent. So, so yeah, I think they love the culture. I don't think they're over there in Russia going, yeah, we're going to appropriate all the African-American. I think that they, they love it. They, they identify with it and they're doing it. So to me, that's not specifically offensive. Okay. But like I said, like there's a fine line between love and hate. There's a fine line between appreciation and appropriation. How do you feel about the word urban? I'll tell you the most interesting thing to come out of this whole Everything I read about this was, you, you said you had never heard black scent. I had never heard, you know, this one article says, years of pushback about her appropriation of African-American vernacular English. A- 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 yeah, I've a- never a- heard that before. Me neither. That, that, that was, was a first, that was for, me, first for me. That was, was like, what? Where, no one sent me the memo on that one. Dude. I never got an email from the uh, word police. <laughs> Dude, like <laughs> how many different ways can we say the same thing? It's not Ebonics. It's not Blackcent. It's it's the A-A-V-E. 
Dude, it, it's all comes down to the same thing. I, I... Since the beginning of this show and since pretty much from the start that you and I met, you've always told me the story about this one party you went to and there was all these white guys and they couldn't believe that you didn't sound black. <laughs> <laughs> that it's like, oh my God, it's so great to have a black friend that that's like us and that is non-threatening. So here's my thing. What does black sound like? Okay, first of all, let me say this, okay? Uh, that was no one party. That could have been like a 20-year period of my life. But let me just say this. Uh, what does black sound like? It depends on where you're from. You know, if you're black and you're from the South, you don't sound like if you're black and you're from South Central or if you're black and you're from the Bronx, okay? So every community, just like if you're white and you're from the South or you're white and you're Canadian, you know, accents are accents. There are certain accents that are more prevalent. You know, it, you listen to the, the way a Mexican speaks, the way a Puerto Rican speaks, the way a Dominican speaks. They're, they're all speaking Spanish, but they all have a different kind of accent. So I think accents, okay, what? it's not a question of the accent. It's a question of what you attribute to the accent and and whether you attribute a lack of intelligence grace sophistication to the way someone speaks what is your bias based on how when someone speaks the bias in this country is that if you don't speak english you know the way the quote-unquote average american does and you're speaking a second language there's so you know you're the one who's not too smart because you're not speaking English that well, even though you speak a complete language that they don't. So to me, sounding black, uh, you know, n n I don't know anybody that hears me talk and goes, "Hey, you sound black," but I also don't think I've been told, "Oh, hey, you sound like a white guy." I'm like, I know plenty of white guys that don't sound anything like me. But to me, my answer would always be. I think I just sound intelligent. And if you think to sound intelligent sounds white, then you've really been brainwashed. So to me, I, I, sounding black. So here's what I'm hearing from you. In the same way that Cubans, you know, we're all Latinos, but Cubans sound different than Puerto Ricans. Puerto Ricans sound different yes. than Dominicans. We're all Latinos. Yes. It's all part of Latinidad, but we all sound different. Right. Yes. Okay. So what I'm hearing from you is like, well, there's blacks from the South that sound different than blacks from yep. L.A. or the West yep. Coast than blacks from the East Coast. And then there's and we're not even talking about West Indians or Jamaicans. Right. Or and Jamaicans. And, and then there's the blacks from Please. Latin America. And then there's the blacks throughout the, the British black. So there isn't one primary accent for black, for being black, at least in America. I happen to think that the urban black or the city black that's the one that has been popularized around the world. That's the one that people like to talk like. That's the one that people feel that is probably more fun uh, to speak in that language. Um, they feel comfortable in it. They feel free in it. There's something about the city sounding black that has gone global and so when people say hey what does black sound like it sounds like that because if you're telling me that aquafina isn't sounding like you you're a black man you sound like a black person 
Why isn't she adopting your accent? Why is she not adapting this? Listen, from where I'm sitting, like I said, it always comes down to it's it's a slang. It's it's a derivative of English. It's it's a but it's a cool slang. It's got it's filled with with it. It is fun. I mean, but even blacks, you talk about black British, the term. It's uh, so funny. We'll have a term that's black term here in America. It'll go over to England. Blacks in England will take it and they take it and they say it in a British way. And yeah, like John Boyega. Yeah, John Boyega. And then, and then it becomes popular in Great Britain and it's like a derivative of a derivative. So they don't say brother or bro. They say bro. Now, bro comes back to America. B-R-U-H is back in America, even mm. though it came. Bro. Bro. Right. And that and that again. So that's just making the circle all the way back around. And now it's back into, quote unquote, black English or the black scent or the urban black. The question I have is, are we do we really advance? Are we any better 20 years later, 25 years later than we were 20, 25 years ago? So, Jack, I want to ask you, because I know you are a bit of a 90s baby in that, uh, you know, that was really, you know, the Jack Rico coming of age time. Uh, and so you, you you got to talk to Robin Givens. And, uh, you know, that's that's pretty amazing. She she was someone like you always read about. Uh, what was that like for you to, to actually get to meet Robin Givens? And were, were you a fan going before going in? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't say I was a fan, but I was definitely um, a, a faithful viewer of Head of the Class. And I remember seeing her with Mike Tyson. And, you know, that's sort of unfortunately what took off. Um, there was, she was in the press a lot, man. I mean, and not always in the most positive of ways, you know, the, the eighties and the nineties were some really weird times for people of color and celebrities in, in the Hollywood game. And she really came to, to, to her breakthrough role was Darlene in uh, head of the class. That was from 86 to about 91 where it was at its peak. And, uh, we had a chance to kind of converse about the reboot of the new head of the class on HBO Max and how she was a part of that and what that meant for her and the significance of that. Did you talk about Howard Hesseman at all? Did we you did. Talk about we, we did, who uh, was also the star of WKRP in Cincinnati that I grew up in and then uh, seeing him in the original head of the class and him passing away recently, we asked about his legacy and what that meant for her. But to also what we really got down to was about her appearance in Queens. And I love the concept of Queens, man. And it's about brown, black women. And it's from the 90s. And it's like this this female group that hit it really big. And that 20 years later, after their breakup, they're getting back together to give it one more go. Because a young uh, superstar, pop star is into them and likes them and wants to do something more like the what Ariana Grande did with InSync at Coachella something you know like a nod and homage to 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 the 90s and i think we're seeing that here and to have Robin Givens and Brandy together 
it really just reminded me of my childhood, my teenage years, like you said, my formative years and, and, and what that meant and how cool it is to kind of just go through that nostalgic era once again, seeing these women at the top of their game. So very happy for them. And hopefully you guys enjoy this interview with Robin Givens. Zone, zone, zone. That was Nasty Girl, the 90s chart topper from the former Queens of Hip Hop. Why did they break up and where are they at? Sorry, this is my bad. Oh, snap. Is that... That's you. Baby, she's famous. My bro had her post on the wall. Her? Really? What happened? Rude? Oh, you better think. Can you believe it's been 20 years since we performed together? Let's go back. We stood on top of the world for a hot minute. The only time I had anything resembling a family is when we were together. The dumbest thing we ever did was throw away friendships that most people never had. Let's get this group back together. Listen, everyone been asking about y'all. I want y'all closing out the BT Awards this Sunday. That's 50K for each of you. I got five kids. I can use that money. I am still active in my parish. There are things I can't say anymore. It's one night. Splash some holy water on that ass and keep it moving. So a mom, a church lady, a disgraced daytime TV host, and a washed-up musician are going to be performing at the biggest black award show in the world in four days. Tell me how this isn't going to be a disaster. We do it our way this time. Two ambitious women everywhere. <laughs> Y'all are mad corny. <laughs> I'm a mom. I don't rap anymore. You need to find the fierce woman you used to be. I am performing with my girls. You don't get another piece of me. For real. This is our second chance at friendship, at finding our voices. How often do you get a chance to rewrite history? Remember this moment right here, y'all. It's queens against the world. We don't need a crowd. We don't need a stage. We need each other. We are not a sideshow. You're not a show at all anymore. It's not 1999 when you had your one big album. You slapped him, straight knocked homeboy out. I'm a baby. It's a crime that I can only get to talk to you, Rob, but only for seven minutes. <laughs> they should have added a zero to that. <laughs> there's just such a great career that you've had and there's so much to talk about. Um, but the first thing we should talk about is this great role on the Queens on ABC. Uh, tell us a little bit about your character uh, what is her name and what is her purpose? There's been some photos on the internet of you and Brandy together. And there's a lot of mystery of what these, this conversation is. What could these two powerhouses of women uh, be saying to each other? What a conversation they have. Um, you know, I, I, I've been saying this and I don't realize it, it all kind of came back to me. I remember when they were even talking about doing this project Oh, and wow. the idea of it excited me. I was so excited for these for these women, um, you know. And then I said, you know, you're you're walking in New York or you're walking whatever, and you, you know, you see the art on the bus as it passes by, and you're like, oh God, they're hot, you know, they're <laughs> fabulous, you know. And then you know, I was on I was on a set where I got this phone call, and they were like, can we send you the script? And I'm like, sure. And you know, in between setups, I start reading, and then I'm like, oh yeah, oh wow. yeah, this is gonna be good. Um, so, you know, there are three scenes, it's not a lot, but it's a, 
pretty pivotal character. And, um, you know, it, it's really this, this woman that comes from Eric's past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you realize that, or I get the feeling in terms of my character that she's almost like the Pasco, but now mm-hmm. it's sitting right in front of her, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And yeah. there it is all again. And, and, and you feel a sense with Eric that there's a little flirtation, she's happy, things are nice, until he drops this <laughs> bomb in her, in her lap, um, which also brings back the pain of their relationship. Um, so I think by the time you get to the scene that you're talking about with Brandy, you know, I always thought of it, the way we kind of blocked the scene, the way it kind of evolved and happened was, was it, it's like this, a duel between two women. Each mm. one, it probably took some courage for each of them to walk through that door. And they start <laughs> off in this kind of position and tense and slowly kind of come together as women. And, and that's what I love about this. I think there's so often, a lot of women will be able to relate to what these two women go, mm. go through. And I think so often women blame the other woman, you know? Right. And, and then all of a sudden, by the end of the scene, there's a simpatico, there's, there's, there's a, a friendship that could happen. And certainly there's a bond just as women. They never see each other again. They're just women kind of leaning on one another. Right. You know, Zaheer McGee had talked about so much about the 90s era of women in hip hop and and how he thought they were probably even more interesting, had more depth back then than the uh, hip hoppers of today. And he wanted to really sort of capture that. But seeing you and Brandy really brought me back. I'm 47 and I just uh-huh. I remember exactly living the Robin Givens era, the Brandy era. And seeing both of you together really brought me back to those days. What do you think it is about America right now having this 90s nostalgia love affair? Yeah, isn't that something, you know, I only know it because, you know, my children and they, you know, they, they tell me what's cool and I follow along. And it's so funny, I was, on, I was on a plane not too long ago and I'm like sitting and the guy goes, I like your fit. I was like, excuse me? I like your fit. And I'm like, I'm like uh, and I started like, oh, thank you. You know, you got whatever, whatever. You know, usually when people like my clothes, my kids have purchased them. You know, told me. So I leave. That's between the two of us. No, but I lean on them in terms of what is cool, you know. But you're right. They talk about the 90s um, quite a bit. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, in, you know, somebody once said to me, you know, we're always living the good old days. I mean, mm. you know, they're, just in terms of nostalgia or, or, you know, for me, acting wise, I mean, I really grew up at a time where people studied a craft and, and um, studying the craft was incredibly important, but each error, each time brings something, right? Some mm-hmm. weight. Um, and I'm sure now too, we're living at a time that is bringing tremendous weight um, and importance. And, and I, I can think of so many things that, that pop into my head um, that make this time so wonderful. But but maybe maybe just right now, because there's such serious things going on, maybe the 90s just seemed fun. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Well, one of those fun times uh, between 86 and 91 was head of the class. Yes. And recently, Howard Hessman passed away. And yes. I know that you were part of the original show that... Yeah. Uh, where you worked with him, and then you were also in the reboot uh, as well, yes. head of the class. Uh, tell me some uh, 
any any thoughts on his passing, what he meant to you, what it was like working with him, what kind of legacy do you think he left? And after that, if you can tell me a little bit about what it was revisiting the head of the class and your character, Darlene, who is now a, a mother and it's just yeah. a whole different dynamic. So if you can take me those through those yeah. two things, it'd be great. You know, when I when I got off the plane and and you know, I took a little break from graduate school that hasn't, hasn't ended. And, you know, and I, you know, I remember starting head of the club, Howard, gosh, what a, when you say like a cool cat, like Howard was just cool. You know, that's all I can say, <laughs> you know, you, you look forward to seeing what he was going to wear every day, his cool t-shirts. He just clap cool in a classic way, right? Like, like anything he wore then you could wear now. And it would just, art and and life and he he'd been there already he'd been mm. where what this world that was new for us he'd been and he would take the time to talk to you and and i remember for me it was going through kind of like this difficult time you know and just taking the time and talking to you i or inviting to you to his house all of us and having us all <laughs> splash around his pool i mean it, it was really a lovely time um, you know, there were like 13 of us. We kind of did everything together. There was an innocence to it. And I mm -hmm. think, you know, a lot of us were kind of adults. Probably we thought we were more adults than we actually were. <laughs> but we wanted to like kiss and have, you know, different storylines and adult storylines and like, nah. You know? <laughs> but certainly, um, you know, I, what a lovely person Howard is. And he holds such a place in my heart. And that time in and of itself, when I heard about his passing, I, I called our showrunner and I just said, thank you for putting together. We all still keep in touch. It was That's just awesome. a lovely, lovely time. And I did a lot of growing up on the Warner Brothers lot, stage five. So then cut to, I'm not so into reboots, by the way, like a reboot. Okay. It kind of freaks me out when people say they're rebooting things because I think certain things are better left alone. And right. when I got that call about doing this, I was like, yeah, <laughs> which is like, it, it just was such a special time. Um, yeah. And it felt for me kind of full circle. You know, I actually, I mean, my younger son is a little older than me than when I <laughs> walked onto that stage wow. thinking I was so grown up, you know? Wow. So I have to say, when I walked into that new head of the class, my knees were shaking. I mean, wow. I was I was like in tears. And I'm not the gal that like I, I was trembling. Like so much of your life has happened that it kind of it it floored me for a little bit. Mm. Um so I'm happy to have had that experience. It, it really meant a lot to me. Uh, before I let you go, Robin, I wanted to ask you, the name of the show is Queens, and I wanted to kind of get your sense of what you think uh, a brown black queen means for oh. us today. Oh, I, you know, I don't know if it means anything more today than it even did in the past. I mean, mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I was raised by a single mom. I'm a single mom. I think, you know, I think, I think black women, and I'm, I think about this black girl magic. I think what it what it means to be a black woman, the strength that comes with that. I think I think Michelle Obama. You know, I I, I think of, <laughs> right. I think there's such strength that comes with being a black woman, and unfortunately, I think sometimes the being strong almost 
is like a bad word, you know, mm-hmm. but, I, and, and, you know, and I think we're strong because we've had to be, um, but we're women. Um, and also there's a sense of uh, vulnerability and sensitivity and softness and you want to still smell good. <laughs> and, you, know? you know, I think of an orchid, you know, it's a strong flower, but there's a, it's delicate as well, but um I'm so proud to be a black woman. I, I, I think, uh, I think of Stacey Abrams, <laughs> you know, I, I really think of, of black women and, and, and all the work we've done. And, and I think strong is a beautiful word, <laughs> quite honestly. Well, Robin, thank you very much. Uh, the name of the show is Queens. You'll be on episode 12 on ABC. Robin, thank you so much for being on the Brown and Black Podcast. That's it for this episode of Brown and Black. We'd like to thank Robin Givens for stopping by. And if you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Tirado. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need whatever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro.